Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In this episode, you meet Lisette Williams. Lisette is a leading marketing and advertising executive with expertise at driving the convergence of brand, culture, and tech. She's worked across Fortune 50 companies, driving consumer-centric growth strategies focused on cultural relevancy. In 2020, she was named one of Advertising Woman of the Year by the Chicago Advertising Federation. She is one of the foremost awarded marketing executives in the field and was also inducted into the American Advertising Federation Advertising Hall of Achievement, the premier industry recognition for leaders under 40 who are making a significant impact in the industry and their communities. She's been listed as Crane's Chicago Business 40 Under 40, Advertising Age Women to Watch, and Black Enterprise Top Women Executives in Advertising and Marketing. A respected thought leader and subject matter expert, Lizette is a sought-out speaker, lecturer, and advisor on marketing and culture. She has provided expertise as a keynote speaker and panelist at several premier industry conferences, including South by Southwest, Advertising Week, Essence Fest, and multiple association of national advertisers conferences. She is frequently invited to keynote events at major companies to discuss cultural growth strategies, including the Kraft Heinz Company, LinkedIn, and Ogilvy and Mather. Lizette serves as the global head of vertical solutions marketing at Facebook, where she leads a global marketing team tasked with developing the business marketing strategy and approach across seven industries, including consumer packaged goods, retail, gaming, and e-commerce. This combination of platform and digital work allows her to continue to drive cultural relevance and impact on a broader scale. Lizette has worked in major marketing roles at McDonald's, Kimberly Clark Corporation, and PepsiCo. She has consistently remained at the cutting edge of driving innovative approaches that bring brand, culture, and tech together. Lizette's love, Lizette's love of all things culture comes from being a born and raised New Yorker and a proud Afro-Latina. Currently based in Chicago, she serves on the board of the Chicago Advertising Federation, where she chairs the Diversity Thought Leadership Council. She also serves on the board of directors of Real Self, the leading healthcare marketplace for people considering an elective cosmetic treatment. Additionally, Lizette serves as the chair of the American Advertising Federation Hall of Achievement Selection Committee. She has a passion for serving young people and women, and as a result, has a countless number of mentees across the country. She spends her free time inspiring college students and has keynoted events at Northwestern University and Lincoln University, as well as guest lectured classes at several other universities. Lastly, Lizette is a proud mother of two children who keep her filled with laughter and purpose. Lizette received her MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern University. She received her BA in Economics and Political Science through a joint program with Columbia University in New York City in the London School of Economics. As you can see, Lizette is very, very accomplished and she was nothing but generous with her time and her wisdom during this episode. And so as always, grab your I Choose a Ladder notebook, um, a pen and your favorite beverage, and let's get ready to get to work. This episode is brought to you by The Review Planner. For many of us, performance review season is about to begin. For many of us, it's also a challenge to remember all of the things that we've done during the year. So what happens is, 
our performance reviews become a one-way conversation where our managers are telling us what they think we did during the year and without proof of our performance, it becomes incredibly hard for us to advocate for that raise, promotion, or new position that we know we deserve. So I created the review planner because I always wanted a tool like this, a systematic way to track all of our career accomplishments that are specifically tied to the feedback and growth areas that our managers are measuring our success by. The review planner helps you create a schedule for your career growth, and it makes it easy to focus on the goals that you have throughout the year. With email templates, monthly checklists, built-in accountability and reminders, the planner keeps you on track to accomplish your goals and ensures you are spending your time on the things that actually move your career forward. I designed the review planner to help you focus on your career and prepare for your annual review so you can confidently speak up for yourself and earn what you deserve. To learn more about the review planner, head to thereviewplanner.com. Again, that's thereviewplanner.com. Lisette, welcome so, to the podcast. Um, I remember my first time meeting you, you were sitting on a panel at Kellogg and I was like, who is this black girl magic? And how do I get her in my life? So to finally, I feel like it's like five years ago at this point, um, to finally have you on the podcast is, is a dream come true. Amazing, amazing. I'm excited to be here and I'm so glad we're having this conversation. Um, so you have a massive job, right? So you currently are the global head of vertical solutions at uh, solutions marketing at Facebook. You've worked at, you know, PepsiCo, McDonald's, Kimberly Clark. And so when people hear that, they probably get really intimidated and they're like, dang, man, like we can't, like we can't do stuff like that. So for people who don't understand like what you do and are instantly intimidated, can you like put it in layman's term? Like, what do you yeah. do for uh, well, first, I just want to clarify that I'm just like a regular regular girl from the Bronx. So no, no need to be intimidated um, at all. I really am. Um, but I oversee a global team and each of the people within my organization are responsible for a specific industry. So I have somebody over auto, somebody over government, somebody over e-commerce, seven different industries across the board. And we basically oversee the way Facebook is going to go to market with our technology in those industries. So the way we would approach um, clients who are within those specific industries or the way we show up at a major industry event within mm -hmm. those particular industries, we're literally crafting the story um, mm -hmm. and building the narrative around that. So um, and so right now you're at a company that everyone knows and like, you know, you don't really have to say much, but think back to like your very first job in corporate. Like, how did you get that job? Did you always know you said you're a regular smuggler girl from the Bronx? So did you always know that you would be in corporate or like, how did you figure that stuff out? Girl, no. Um, I'm the first person in my family to go to college. Hmm. Um, the second person to graduate from high school. My mom was a bookkeeper. Um, at an office downtown, but like a small office. So I didn't know anything about corporate. I was blessed enough to, to go to some, to some great schools. And I found out about an internship program called Inroads, um, the Inroads internship program, which targets minority students for business careers. And honestly, it was out of necessity. Um, I went to Columbia University in New York for my undergraduate. Um, majority of it was paid for with scholarships, but I did have to like support myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I literally was like, well, I need to get a good 
job. So what is a good job? I wasn't an engineer. So I was like, I'm going to go in. So I started inroads. Um, when I was 17, my first internship out of the 12th grade was at Business Week magazine. And it was the very first time I had ever worked. It was my first job, period. Forget about a corporate environment. It was my first job was showing up to Business Week magazine um, as a 17-year-old girl going like traveling on the train downtown from the Bronx every day in the summer. Can you think back? Like, I know it was a while ago, but like that first day at work, like that first day at the internship, like, how did you feel? I was so nervous. Um, and it's important to understand the community I was raised in. I grew up in an inner city community, um, predominantly black and Latino. Um, the first time I spoke to a white person, my own age, I was in the ninth grade when I went away to boarding school. So my, like, I was still learning about how to engage with people that didn't look like me, which sounds crazy, but that's how those communities are. Um, And so now, of course, my school, I went to a boarding school outside of Boston. It was predominantly white. Um, So I kind of, it was like an immersion (laughs) in a very different cultural experience. But now the professional environment was actually quite different because I was like I don't know what to talk to people about like Mm. like if I go to lunch or coffee with somebody like I'm so nervous about saying the wrong thing and I Mm. I just had like so many um I was insecure in a lot of ways I mean there was a lot of things with my family background I didn't have like expensive clothes or uh, money to buy expensive work clothes so I would I waited for my check and I went to the ten dollar store downtown and bought like skirts and tops Mm because that's what I had and so Mm -hmm. I was trying to do the best that I could with the resources I had but I still was living between two socioeconomic worlds Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and I think that complicated how I would find a common ground um, between my coworkers and I to really interact and engage. So it was just, it was awkward. I was unsure of myself, Um, but I was, I will tell you, I was brilliant. Like I was extremely smart and extremely sharp. Mm -hmm. So you couldn't mess with me when it came to like understanding business things. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, I'm just gonna have to lean into like my acumen, like my educational acumen. I was Mm well-spoken, but like all the other things, like I didn't, I didn't listen to the music they listened to. I didn't go out to the restaurants they went to. I didn't live in the neighborhood they lived in. Like it was just really hard to figure out how to connect with people. Um, And so, so like, let's dig into that just a little bit. So we all know how important community is, right? And when we think about corporate now where there are not a lot of people of color, there are not a lot of black people, there are not a lot of black women, especially as you get higher up the ranks. So back then, how did you find community, right? Like how did you step outside yourself enough to find a, or did you find that? Because I feel like it's so important as you grow, but in that time, did you find people or how did you do it? Yeah, so Inroads was a great, um, was a great opportunity to network with my peers because we would meet in the summer for the summer program you meet like once or twice a week with your cohort and then there was like all these different sessions and they were really teaching us about how to immerse yourself in a professional environment which I found very 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 helpful but I also my first summer internship there was a black female director um, who also went to Columbia she was an alum her name was Yolanda Sealy Ruiz and she took me under her wing um, I met her at 17 and this woman, she's probably in her early thirties at that time was such a pivotal part of my development and allowing me to feel confident. She was fairly senior in the department I was working in mm-hmm. and she wanted to really invest time in me, um, which I'm so thankful for. And I continue to do this with other young women um, because she realized that I had raw talent. 
that needed to be like cultivated. And so she was a huge um, resource for me as I was going through that summer. Mm. And so you touch on something that I think is important that people struggle with. If you come from a background where you don't understand the corporate environment, the rules of engagement, all that stuff, mentorships, right? So you had someone who saw in you that you had the raw talent. You just probably need to like, be polished off a little bit, you know, put in, in different situations to help you grow. But as you think about mentorship now, like how does that look for you being mentored at this point in your career? And then the flip side of that, for someone who wants you to mentor them, how do you think about taking on more mentors? Like how do you identify the diamond in the rust for lack of a better phrase? Yeah, I mean, I that's a critical part of my life. And I think a lot of people know that. I have like a million mentees all over the country, a lot of young women, but definitely a lot of diverse people who, who I've just interacted with and engaged with at different points. Um, I also have a ton of mentors and people who have invested into me as well. So I think it's it's my responsibility. You know, there's a quote that says you lift as you climb. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live by that. So it's critically important. As far as identifying, I mean, I think some of it is like natural rapport and connection, mm-hmm. right? Like there has to be some connection, obviously someone who's in the industry, who's interested in the industry, um, and just having that natural um, energy with somebody I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I feel like I've been really accessible to people. Like I'm definitely not. So I told you I'm a regular schmegular girl. <laughs> I like just no ears. <laughs> like people laugh because every time I get a new job, I post it on LinkedIn and people will shoot me notes. I sit down and respond to every every message I get. Mm-hmm. Like it'll take me probably a couple months, but eventually I will get around to it. Yeah, man. And I think that that's, that's one of the things that I hope that younger women see, like, you know, you see the titles and you just assume that that person's going to be a certain way, but like, here you are, you know, with imagine a global team and you're responding to all your LinkedIn messages when people saying congratulations in the comments, right? So if you don't ask, right, if you don't put yourself out there, there's no way that she can know that you want to connect with her because you haven't said yeah. it. I will say the ones that I've connected with most intimately um, from a mentoring capacity are usually people that have read something that I've written like an ad week or something or watched the speech online. And then they would send me a note saying, I watched your interview with whatever publication or your speech on this thing. And you said that and like will be very specific versus a blanketed request. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Those tend to stand out because it demonstrates that you've taken an initiative um, to show interest and engagement in the individual, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. And we say this all the time, like the more specific you ask, you are in your ask, the easier it is for someone to help you. Right. If you just say, Hey, can I pick your brain? It's like, I don't have time. But if you say, I watched the speech, you said this, I have a question. Can you clarify? That's a very easy thing exactly. for somebody to send you a, send you an email on. So, Um, You manage a global team and we were just talking before we started the conversation that like things are crazy busy and people are everywhere and your team is everywhere. And I think before the pandemic, if you look at the data, Black women were struggling, uh, trying to figure out how to feel seen at work, right? And even when you could walk down to your manager's office, like to still feel like they're visible and they've been seen and they're adding value and that's being noticed. Now in this virtual culture, right? Where you can't just walk down to an office and like pop your head into your boss's office or your colleague's office. I think there's some some fear or anxiety around how people can display their value. So for you as someone who manages a team that is everywhere, um, how are you looking at value creation from your staff right now? 
Yeah, it's an interesting question because I actually think about it almost in a different way. Because we are in this virtual environment, I believe that this environment has allowed, has democratized access to people. Mm -hmm. So whereas before, like we would have to get on airplanes or carve out a specific time to attend an event or meet with somebody we're at home. And so that's, that's the barriers to engagement on something are, are much lower than they used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, I think there's just like casual, you can still have casual engagement instead of coffees or one-on-ones. I do this with junior level staff all the time um, who just want to like connect with me and it's 15 minutes in the morning on a VC. Mm-hmm. Um, like the, it's just not a huge commitment to do that. Um, the other thing I encourage people to do is to attend um, industry events, trade association events, because a lot of times very senior people are speaking and they can see you on the Zoom. Like, when have you been able to be in an environment where the senior level speaker is going to see your face and your name mm-hmm. in virtually? Like, if you were there in person, that wouldn't happen. Ask a question. Prepare before you walk into there mm-hmm. and ask a question. I'm very intentional in the engagements that I have in terms of um, external industry events and things of that sort. And I usually come in with like, all right, I need to meet this person, this person, and this person. Mm-hmm. And so I have questions prepared because I've done my research before I walk in. So I think you need to have that intentionality um, and just just understand like it is, there's to me, there's like a wealth of information and knowledge out there and the ability to access it because of the environment that we're in. Yeah, and also like, I feel like most bosses are overwhelmed right now because they're trying to do their job and f- solve for running teams in a pandemic. So if you can find a way to like help that person out or take something off their plate, that is, that doesn't create more work for them. I think that that's something to also consider because people, senior level executives are not just doing their jobs right now, right? Like they're doing their jobs plus 5 million other things that they were already doing plus 5 million pandemic things. And so figuring out like, where are some gaps that you can maybe step in to to offer some help virtually or, or however else, like, I think that that is also something that people should consider. Um, they will not be able to see you, um, but I can see this hair, honey, and it is every thing. You are giving me everything that I need right now, right? And one of the things that um, we talk about often is like black hair in the workplace. I think there was a time where there was like two acceptable styles of black hair. So you either had like a short pixie or you had a blowout. You didn't really do a twist out of braid out braids or anything like that. But as someone who's like, very visible in your role, right? You speak a lot, you write a lot, you're interviewed a lot. How do you think about your hair? Yeah, girl, that is like a deep, we could do a whole episode on the hair. (laughs) No, I'm serious, especially because of how I grew up. So I'm Puerto Rican, but um, my father is a black Puerto Rican. My mom is more of a Spaniard Puerto Rican. So I have this like mixed textured hair and growing up in a black Caribbean and Latino neighborhood, I think what was idolized um, was straight hair, Mm -hmm. right? So I was in the Dominicans. I got a perm when I was like 15. I did the just for me when I was a kid, like nothing works. My hair was just for me. me. My hair was like, ha ha. (laughs) This is not just for you. (laughs) (laughs) So my entire life, I've been trying to have straight hair. Mm. And um, as I went into the workplace and grew, I mean, you guys, my my career is photographed online. So you can see when I made the switch um, is when I went to McDonald's. I used to be in a hair salon once a week. I had a regular appointment mm. to straighten my hair mm. um, and just would never wear my hair natural ever. Why? I, I just, 
I felt like a lot of t- one, I just felt like, and this is this is from our own communities, the negative self-talk is there has been things embedded in our communities about what looks professional and what doesn't. And I have bought into the lie mm-hmm. um, because that was a lie that was sold to me from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to get over that. And there was some like generational things I had to break out of in terms of what is beautiful and how I can portray myself in the in the beauty I was born into um, with this hair. Um, so I, and also I, there were a few times when I like came back from vacation and I had curly hair, like I hadn't had time to go to the hair salon at work and people were very mesmerized by it. Like I could tell I was in a meeting and like no one's paying attention to me or the comments would come about the hair. So I was like, I can't go to work with my natural hair. It's just, it's too much attention. Mm. Uh, people want to talk about the hair. People want to touch it. They don't understand what I did to it. Cause it was so straight before it's too much. Like I'm there, I'm here to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I was like, you know what? <laughs> I got this job at McDonald's. I was still running multicultural and a bunch of other teams. And I was like, I'm just going to stop straightening my hair. Like literally, and, and part of it was my daughter. So I have a daughter who's 11 now who has natural hair. Her father is African-American. Um, and I wanted her to be proud of her hair. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't embed that into her without me showing up as who I was. Mm-hmm. as well so we went on vacation um almost two years ago and I decided to not straighten my hair when I got back and I haven't straight I haven't put heat on my hair in two years I was very self-conscious when I started that journey um I remember I was at the Latin Grammys it was the first time I was going to a professional event with my hair this way mm-hmm. so it was one thing to be showing up at the office it's a whole other thing when I have glam like my face the dress and I'm about to walk out the door and do press and all this stuff. And my hair is not straightened. Mm. Like I would have had a whole team of people in there getting every strand. Um, and I remember sitting in my hotel room in Vegas and just being like, girl, you're being so extra right now about the, like, you look good. Like, you, like, just, like, I really had to like, be like, you have to, you, you are beautiful with your natural hair. Hmm. Um, and you got to let it go. And it was something magical that happened when I started going to work that way is that all the other women on the floor stopped straightening their hair. All of them, the white women, like all of the women, like people stopped straightening their hair. And I was like, wow, me as a senior leader in this organization, I've made it permissible Hmm. for us to show up this way. And this is what a senior level executive looks like, like Hmm. this. Like, this is what professionalism looks like. And I had defined that. And it was such a pivotal moment. And like, no matter if I was having a bad hair day, I was still wanting to walk out the door just for the reason that I knew other women had stopped straightening their hair on our floor. Mm. It was like pretty incredible. Mm. And as leaders, like people are always watching, right? Like you, like you set the tone for how other people like you give permission to other people to do certain things if you do them as well, which is why like, I think the phrase is like the fish rots from the head. So if I give a terrible leader, it seeps down. And if you are someone who's walking into your authentic self, you're still killing, you're excellent, you're delivering results, then people feel like they can exhale a little bit. And like, well, my boss has her hair natural. So clearly it must be okay for me to have my hair natural. Um, Do you think that corporate in general though is becoming more accepting of like natural hair? I think so. I think we have to just take it back. Honestly, we need to take back what a professional person looks like. Mm. A professional mm. person looks like me. A professional person looks like us. Like, I think we need to, and that's our responsibility in, in doing that. 
Um, so I do think it's becoming more permissible, probably in some industries more than others. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was- um, so I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, some of the companies that you've had um, the opportunity to work for, who've had the opportunity of having your brilliance inside their walls. Um, but for you, how do you know when it's time for you to move on, right? Like you are, I know like for someone who's first gen, typically when you get a good job, and you tell your parents that you're about to leave that good job. There's like, what do you mean you're leaving X, Y, and Z? Like, that's a good job, girl. You better stay there for the rest of yes. your life. Especially yes. when it's like, you know, you're making more money than your parents ever dreamed a, a human can make. And you are highly visible and they get to see their daughter on TV and you're doing all these cool things. And you're like, yeah, actually I'm leaving, right? Like how, one, how do you reconcile that? Um, Cause there are first gen people who listen and who have that struggle yes. but for you personally, how do you know when it's time to move on to the next opportunity? Um, that's such a great question. And it's so, so true. I'll give you a story. So um, my, I, I was in strategy consulting before I went to business school and I got a job at IBM. So old school, right? Like my family is like, oh, I don't ever say IBM. <laughs> like you about to die here, like get all the pensions. Like that's it. You don't ever need to work anywhere else. It's IBM, right? Like this is what, you know, that, that that's what people aspire to. Um, and I, I decided, I thought I was going to be a strategy consultant my whole life and make partner. And I was there and I was like, this isn't it for me. Like, I want to see the culmination of my work. I want to see kind of the end-to-end experience. I'm tired of traveling. Um, and it's not for me to go. Uh, you know, the other thing was, I and I, this has happened in other roles where I've hit a place where I didn't feel like I was learning anymore. Yeah. And so I think I'm like just a continual student, a student of the business, a student of our consumers, a student of marketing. And so... Um, I think that is the, that's the question I have to ask myself when I get to a certain point. Like, am I still learning? Am I still growing? How much runway do I have in this experience? And that'll be an indicator for me of when it's time to move on. So I went back to apply to business school. I decided to go to Northwestern to get my MBA. And I went back to tell my family that I was doing the full-time program and leaving my job at IBM. (laughs) They were like, what? (laughs) <laughs> with no job because I didn't work in business school <laughs> I went full-time with no job <laughs> they thought they thought I was like insane and I was like I promise you like this is gonna work out like they just it was just such a foreign thing um so they've learned to just let me do my <laughs> do you and think it's just it's just funny since you brought that up well yeah because I remember when I had to tell my parents that I was leaving Yahoo and like, it was a company that they knew that they could brag to their friends about. And they're like, you're doing what? Like, no, that's a good job. I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm going to be fine. It's fine. Like it's Yahoo. Like it, it is totally fine. Um, so for someone who has like worked for big named companies, right? A lot of times the name and the brand recognition like swallows us up. And now we become Lissette at Facebook, Lissette at McDonald's. How have you not let that become your story, right? Cause like, you're just Lissette. Like everybody knows who you are like outside of like, they're like, oh, she's a dope marketer. Like it's not like you have not become like your brand identity has not become the companies that you work for. So is that intentional or like, how do you yeah. think through that? Yeah, it's very intentional. And I think it's really important uh, particularly as diverse professionals that we, um, maintain our authentic voice mm-hmm. no matter where we are and so I've been very intentional about maintaining my authenticity despite wherever I am so you could look at my body of work whatever the name is on the business card and I was repping the company hard um, but my across my body of work feels very consistent 
Mm. regardless of what stage I was was in. And some of the things that I do, one, I I don't let anyone write my speeches. (laughs) Like it sounds crazy at at my level. I'm like, no, I don't need a speechwriter. I'm writing my own speech. Mm -hmm. Um, for every, even if I was speaking, they'll, they can review it, of course, and I'll have legal go through any public speaking. Um, but I keep the authenticity of my voice because I feel like I have a very unique positioning in the market and that's how I need to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there's also consistency in my personal voice and my professional voice because I've owned it regardless of what organization that I'm at. And I've also, I've gotten comfortable with my, like that 17 year old girl that was super unsure of herself and didn't know how to show up at work. Like I've grown into an authentic voice and an authentic version of myself. And so it feels very consistent because that's who I'm bringing mm-hmm. um, regardless of where I'm working or regardless of what the opportunity is. And so I think tapping into your authentic self and ensuring that you're bringing that forward Mm-hmm. Um, in a very intentional way is really, really important. If you're working somewhere and you're feeling like you have to be somebody else, you probably should just go find a different job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then in looking at your body of work, I think that it is uh, <clears throat> it is tempting for people to look and say like, oh my gosh, she has it all. Like she's gotten to do all this stuff and like everything's so easy for her. She goes from here to here. Um, and we all know like that's not the truth, right? Like you, you have busted your behind. Um, and there've been times, right? Where it's like things get harder or whatever. So can you think back to a time in your career maybe where you felt stuck and like, what did you do like tangibly to get unstuck? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of seasons. People just get the headlines, um, but there's definitely been ebbs and flows and that just comes, but you know, I'm, I'm blessed and I don't wanna negate that. So I'm, I'm super thankful of all the experiences I've had. Um, yeah, I mean, there's been times where I've had challenging situations at work across the gamut and probably experienced everything that everyone else is experiencing. Um, you know, I tell a story about when I was at Pepsi and I didn't make brand manager, you know, and I, you know, I had to go have a conversation with my boss about that. You know, it's a very, very normal parts of a career trajectory. Um, And I just worked through it. I just fought through it. I didn't give up. You know, I think um, I'm very clear on my North Star and like, what is it that I'm here to do? Mm. You know, the organization and the role is just a step in the journey of what I'm there to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have to continue to remind myself, like for me, I'm trying to evolve how people of color in the media are depicted. I want to be a CMO. Like I, you gotta, I gotta keep thinking about that because all of the little things matter less and less if I'm working towards the bigger picture and reminding myself of what the bigger picture is and what I'm there to do. But absolutely, there's been a ton of challenges and I've had to continue to remind myself. My faith has also played a pivotal role um, because without that, like it's hard. It is hard in these streets, mm-hmm. you know, and people will test you. People will test you as a woman, especially as a woman of color and as a young woman of color. Mm-hmm. Um, but will test you at all different points of your career. And you have to have that consistency and that faith of like reminding yourself of who God created you to be mm-hmm. and what you're here to do. Hmm. Um, and then, so <laughs> we started talking about you being very Puerto Rican and very much from the Bronx, right? And mm-hmm. there's a very specific Puerto Rican from the Bronx communication style, right? Like that is just like, <laughs> and you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're laughing. So how have you thought about that, that showing up at work and like how you communicate? How has that changed as you've become more senior? Um, so it's interesting. I sound like a newscaster now. 
Uh, part of that is because I went to a boarding school when I was 14, which I did have that like thick Bronx Puerto Rican accent. And then it was young enough in my in my life that my it improved my diction um, and my speech. And now I have like a newscaster voice. <laughs> like, you just can't tell where I'm from. <laughs> Um, that being said, I've been known to use urban dialect a time or two. <laughs> so I think, you know, I've mastered the art of code switching in, in my own unique way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I integrate who I am outside of work with my job. So for example, it is not uncommon for me to quote hip hop songs in meetings. Or like I gave my team, I presented our team's vision this this last year. And part of that was me using an analogy to Jay-Z's hip hop journey Mm -hmm. and how he was like on everybody's diss track and then came on the map. Like I literally find ways to integrate my authenticity and how I'm showing up into the world Mm -hmm. into my professional Mm -hmm. environment, because that's part of what makes me unique. Um, and it's part of what makes me different. And it also allows other people of color who are looking at me to be like, yeah, she's dope. And she's doing it on her terms too. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the the conversations that I just had recently is about the responsibility of a seat at the table, right? Everybody thinks like, I feel like that phrase, I really wanted to die a slow, slow death, <laughs> but like everybody thinks that they want to seat at the table. Right. And I think it's because we don't know a lot of people who have those seats, like for real have those seats. And so as someone who does have a seat at the table, what are some myths or like some things that you wish people understood about the responsibility that you shoulder because you sit in those seats? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a tremendous, it's not like you walk in through the the pearly white gates and are like, people are pouring you tea and giving you crumpets. That is not how it is. I wish, I was like, they fly private all the time. They have um, stilettos, yeah. their hair's blowing in the wind. Like that is what people think. Um, no, I think a lot of times, which is hard because you carry the weight of, of your race a lot of times, of your gender. Um, you're trying to think strategically and obviously show up with what's best for the business uh, first and foremost, but also understanding that you need to keep it real if something isn't working and if something is. um, And so I've, I've constantly done that. One of the biggest values that I talk about that is necessary is courageous leadership. Mm. Um, And like as a diverse leader with a seat at the table, you will learn courageous leadership on your first day. Because you're going to eventually have to step in and say something that somebody's not going to like, but it's the truth. And you're keeping your organization out of trouble and growing the business in the right way. Um, and so I think there's just, there's a tremendous responsibility that you have. Um, but also you have to figure out how, how to communicate. You know, there's like so many different and how to have the hard conversations mm-hmm. and how to not come across as threatening and how to get your point across. Um, so it's, it's, it's complex. So how do you define courageous leadership? To me, courageous leadership is is showing up um, and speaking out even when it's uncomfortable. Mm. Um, And even when when you're afraid, there's a Mark Twain quote that I love is my favorite quote um, that states, true courage is not the absence of fear. It is acting in spite of it. So there's been like a lot of times where I've been in in meetings and I knew that I had to say something um, that maybe wasn't the popular opinion in the room, mm-hmm. but I knew was the right thing for the business and I knew was the right thing, particularly for diverse consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to do it even if I had that like scared pit in my stomach of like, am I really about to make this this call on this? 
Um, and the answer is yes. And I've never regretted it. Like every single time I've never regretted having to do that. Mm. Um, and as someone who like, you have the pedigree, right. Of the, you know, you, you check the right boxes, you've gone to school, you have the jobs and the credentials. Have you ever dealt with imposter syndrome? I feel like that's the one thing that like, regardless of how successful the women are that I talk to, there's still an inkling of like, questioning yourselves when you are in spaces maybe that are not as familiar and so if you have experienced imposter syndrome how have you managed it or like managed through it yeah and I think all of us have a little tinge of that um particularly I think when I'm in more senior circles I had to present to the board of directors uh for Kimberly Clark and fly on the jet with them to and from the meeting I spent two days with the board it was the most nerve wracking experience of my entire career. Um, and you want to talk about imposter syndrome. I was nervous about where to sit on the jet. Like I was like, I don't belong here. This is so crazy. <laughs> this is just so crazy. Um, yeah, but you know what? Part of me is like, I have every right to be here. I have every right. Like I busted my behind. I did everything that these people did. And then some like on some for real started from the bottom. Now we here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there is a there is a resiliency that comes from our people, uh, from diverse people. Like if you think about our ancestry, like we are the we are the legacy of slaves and of people that fought for freedom for us to be here. So like I'm like this is the blood and the DNA running through my veins. Like I gotta show up because they didn't do all of this for me to sit here and be all coy about where I sit on a jet. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I need to go take my seat and be very comfortable because I'm supposed to be here because a lot of people fought for me to be in this seat. And so I'm continually having to remind myself of, of how I'm showing up and my, my right to be there. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we've talked a couple of times about you, like you've been managing teams for a while, right? You've managed diverse teams, you've managed large teams, small teams, all types of teams. And so thinking about thinking back and maybe not to your specific company right now, but just like over the course of your career, are there mistakes that you see young Black women making that their peers may not be making that could be holding them back and they don't even know it? Yeah, I mean, I think people in general, I don't, I wouldn't make it specific to young Black women. I want to be careful not to single them out. I think asking for feedback, like fair and transparent feedback, not just at um, like performance feedback time, but mm -hmm. after a meeting, it's something that I've gotten into the practice of doing, like I'll have a big meeting. And then the next time I have a one on one with my boss, I'll be like, can you just give me some feedback on how I did in that meeting? Like mm -hmm. li literally real time feedback. And so I'm continually having a feedback cycle so that there's no surprises. Mm -hmm. um, and then inviting that in to be an acceptable form of communication with me. So you mm -hmm. can't ever say I didn't open the door. Mm -hmm. for you to give me the feedback. And I think we grow and learn through feedback, even if it's things that we don't want to hear. Mm. You know, and I think the time where I've made the biggest mistakes was because I waited too long to get feedback. So now I'm like, I want to know right away, like if there was a problem with my communication or a point that I made in a discussion, like let's have that conversation. Mm. Yeah. And I think people are scared of feedback because they think that it's like an attack on them personally, as opposed mm -hmm. to like feedback on like an action that happened. Right. And so people are like, you said my baby was ugly pretty much. And like, and then everything goes out of the, you know, out of whack because it's, it's a personal thing at that point. Um, yeah. But yeah, feedback is definitely a gift. And the earlier and the, the, the more often that you can, um, that is, uh, that is very, very helpful. Um, how do you think about the concept of managing up? I know that there's um, two schools of thought where it's like, no, you sh your manager is managing 
tons of people. So as one person, like you could take onus of your career and help your manager manage you better. And then there's the school of thought of, of employees who are like, you get paid the big bucks to manage me. I'm not trying to do your job, right? So how do you think about managing up and how should young employees think about that concept as it relates to the, their bosses? Yeah, I think you need to manage up, down and across. Mm. Uh, honestly so a solid relationship with your manager and how you make their lives better and easier is critical mm-hmm. um i think showing up you know showing up for them like being their ride or die and demonstrating that on a very consistent basis is really really important and there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. um, i think you need to manage across people underestimate the importance of peers um, and how critical that will be and our industry is small I can't tell you like how many times things keep coming back. I'm like, you gotta be nice with everybody in the playground. Like <laughs> you do. <laughs> you do. <laughs> Cause it will keep coming back. And it's the reputation that you build, um, both in a professional capacity, which are day-to-day work, but even other things, um, like employee resource groups or recruiting teams or other things you're doing at your organization where you can get exposure to other senior leaders. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we know that like so the old, the more senior you get, I think, in my opinion, the harder it is to form like deep, meaningful relationships, like in undergrad or a boarding school, you all pretty much live together, right? So like to find friendships and all that, that stuff, it was a little bit easier. So as someone who is like a very busy professional, how do you think about cultivating and growing your network at this point? Yeah, I mean, luckily, I have a pretty diverse and large um, network. And I think there's networks and there's friends. It, to me, it's two different things. Like I have a close knit group of friends I've known for 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, undergrad, my sorority. And then there's like my network. I'm pretty engaged and involved in a lot of industry organizations. Um, because I identified my North Star and the thing that I'm passionate about, which is really um, eliminating systemic racism and advertising, there's a lot of people that care about that. Hmm. So I'm in a number of trade organizations where I'm working together with people and then we wind up becoming friends. Hmm. Um, but that's because I'm there to do like the mission that God has beyond. I'm there, that's my work, you know, and then I'm meeting like-minded professionals in the work of doing that. So I feel like I'm always, people are like, you know, everybody. I'm like, I'm... I'm just trying to do my work. Like, you know, I'm just meeting people along the way because we're working on a project together or and have made like some really, really good friends mm. um, in the process of doing that. Um, so you mentioned like you do a whole lot of stuff. You got a whole family. You got a global job. Like, how do you manage all those things without losing sight of yourself? Right. I think we hear about self-care all the time and how important it is to take care of ourselves. But the reality of life is like most women, most senior level executives are doing a lot. And typically the first ball that they drop is themselves, right? They take care of everybody else and take care of all the responsibilities at work. And the kids are great and the husband's great and the wife is great and all those things are great. Um, and then you realize like, oh dang, I'm not so great. So like, how do you make sure that this huge life doesn't swallow you up? Yeah. I mean, that to me in the last year has become increasingly important. I think honestly, COVID has been a blessing and a curse, obviously a curse for a lot of reasons. And a lot of people are hurting right now. Um, but it also allowed me to slow down Mm. and I've never spent this much time with my kids in their entire lives since they've been alive, like walking the earth and Mm. it literally forced me to be home. Mm. Um, so I'm like 
thankful for that. I'm thankful for the time that I've had with them and I've been able to do some amazing things with them and be with them every night for homework. Like just incredible. I still have a global job, by the way, because if I had this job and it wasn't COVID, I'd be in London or Brazil or wherever I'm going, you know, that week. So I'm really thankful for that time. I 2020 for me, and I had started the year before COVID was really about intentionality and building relationships with people. So, um, ironically enough, part of that was self-care. Like, I'm like, I don't talk to my personal friends. I don't like, I'm just working and being a mom all the time. That's all I do. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I had to make some shifts. Um, And luckily Facebook has been really flexible, you know, with the digital environment and how we work. I've been able to be much more efficient because I am home. So I could run upstairs and have lunch with them real quick because if my nanny's here and then come back down and be like in a global meeting and nobody knows, like nobody knows what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's allowed me some freedom and some flexibility that I think I otherwise would not have had if it weren't for the virtual environment. But as, I think it's a journey. Look, I, it's still something that I'm working on. I'm not going to claim to have all the answers. Um, I believe in work-life integration. I don't believe in balance. My kids are a really active part of my career. They've been on planes with me, have flown to speeches, events, activities, met celebrities. That's that's my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how I'm trying to live right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then looking back, or I guess talking to that little 17-year-old who was like super nervous in the beginning, like what do you think she would be most surprised by at this grown woman with it? Like what would surprise her the most? I think the fact that um, that I found my voice and I found a level of comfort because that girl is still in there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and that girl is a girl who walked on a stage last year to give a speech at a major industry event to Beyonce, you know, to come out like that girl is the girl who quotes Jay-Z in like, you know, senior level meetings because that girl didn't go away. And I think I didn't have to kill her completely to be where I am. And so I think she would be really proud that I didn't erase her identity altogether um, to grow into my professional self. And I'm really proud of that because I'm feeling like I represent a lot of women and I represent a lot of people in the hood and from like where I came from, from the Bronx to know like you can still be who you are Mm. and and be successful. Mm. I love that. Cause I think a lot of times we feel like in order to to be these people, we have to distance ourselves from like our history and distance ourselves from our upbringings because there's a little bit of shame, right? Like you don't want to show parts of yourself that then show like that you haven't always been this like polished newscaster voice speaking person, mm-hmm. right? Like, and there's a, a sense of, you know, I don't want people to know that maybe my parents didn't vacation, right? Like we didn't have all of the, the things that people have. Because that's literally when I went to undergrad, um, my English, one of the English teachers in high school told me I would never make it because um, the her daughter had gone to that school. And she was like, those kids are really um, like really well-traveled. They summer in Europe in the summers and blah, 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 all these things. And it's like, yeah, that's cool, but I still graduate. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the, the, the thought that like, you don't have to leave who you are in order to become who you want to be, right? Like I actually think it's a point of strength. When I stopped doing that and I started leaning into my authentic self, like who I really am and showing up that way. Mm-hmm. And by the way, sitting in meetings, making points about diverse consumers because I was very close 
to that community in a very different way, my career took off. Like literally my career took off when I started just being who I was mm. because I was trying to emulate something that I didn't even understand, right? You can only be the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so literally it like skyrocketed and then no one can no one can copy that. Like it's just who you are. Like no one can, it's so unique to who you are. You own that voice, you own your point of difference. And then you walk in that very, confidently it doesn't take a lot of work to show up as your real self mm-hmm. yeah and I think that the things that we're afraid of the most are probably the things that will connect us to people the fastest right like those stories and those the, your experiences are what are like because then people can tell me you're being fake like they, they don't know what's going on but they can tell like something's not all the way right and then it it, it prevents you from having the kinds of relationships that help you with the opportunities that you want and the the kinds of jobs that align with who you are as a person Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to go to the lightning round. Don't think too much about it. It's just the first question that comes to your mind. Um, So first question, what's one piece of career advice you wish you had gotten earlier in your career? Ask for what you want. Mm. Um, What's the lesson, the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the biggest impact on your career? Mm, um, Probably receiving feedback. Mm. What's one book that you could read over and over again? Um, Elaine Welteroff's book, which I, which is, I can't remember the name of it right now, but uh, her recent more, book. Than, more than, more, more than, than enough. enough. That's what it is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah. Good book. Um, and then the last question is, we all know that decisions about your career are going to be made when you're not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? I hope people are saying that I add value to the business and I, um, I inspire others to be better. Mm. And on that note, thank you so much. This was awesome. Um, if you, people wanted to connect with you, where would you recommend they do that? Um, best, uh, LinkedIn. Okay. Perfect. 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 Thank you for your time. Thank you. This was amazing. And now you see why Lissette has won all these awards, has had all these fantastic jobs, and also is a mentor to so many, and why I thought it was important for her to be on the podcast. Now, you all know that I love to end every episode with my three lessons that I'm taking away from the conversation, and there were so many this time, it was actually really hard. Um, But the first thing was around how self-care for her during the pandemic looked um, and how she was able to incorporate her relationships with her friends and going deeper. I think when we are um, ambitious and we are high-performing people within the corporate space, we tend to move really fast. And sometimes the things that get lost are the things that actually fill us back up. And so the fact that intentionality in her relationships as an adult is something that she's prioritizing really uh, resonated with me because it is something that I need to work on as well. Um, The second part was around figuring out um, when it's time to move on, even if your support system doesn't understand. I think a lot of times we stay in positions because of um, maybe fear around judgment or not wanting to have to explain to people or disappoint people, but having that North Star that is yours and yours alone that you can use to determine when it's time to move to your next opportunity. Um, and then I think the last part of that is um, maintaining your voice at work. She talked about her... Uh, career skyrocketing when she embraced parts of herself and brought that to work with her. And I know that as Black people, there are sometimes 
um, a fear that who we are will be judged, who we are will be penalized. But the truth of the matter is we can only pretend to be someone else for so long before it either crushes our spirit or it comes out anyway. Um, and so if you are struggling with a decision around if you should show up as who you are in all your glory, I hope that this conversation encouraged you to go ahead and just be who you are because who you are is more than enough. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can find us on LinkedIn at I Choose the Ladder, on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder, on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder. And if you want to be notified when things are going on in the I Choose the Ladder community, you can do that by texting CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. Again, that's CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, to 66866. And until next time, thank you for listening.